But in First Chronicles chapter 3, it does give us a complete list. I mean, we have a partial list here of the sons that were born to David, each by a different mother. But in First Chronicles 3, verse 1 through 9, it gives us a complete list of sons that were born not only to David in Hebron, which we just read, but also in Jerusalem, a total of 19 sons by at least seven wives, including, of course, Bathsheba. All exclaiming, Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. We must say that God used and blessed David despite his many wives. Yet his family life and these sons were obviously not blessed. The consequences of David's polygamy was reflected in the character of his sons. Amnon raped his half-sister and was murdered by his half-brother. Chiliab, also known as Daniel, Shaphatia, and Ithrium were only mentioned a few times and may have died young or were ungodly, unworthy men. Absalom murdered his half-brother and led a civil war against his father David, attempting to murder David. Adonijah tried to seize the throne of David. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Zeruiah are too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. Very interesting, isn't it? It's a, it's a, and what we're going to see here and what we have read is really the continuing decline of of Saul. In fact, uh, I've named the message the decline of Saul's dynasty. And before we get to the end of, or by the time we get to the end of chapter four, not only are we going to find that Saul and his all of his sons have, except for Ishbosheth, is dead, but by by the end of chapter four, we're going to see that his commander in chief, his commander of his army, he's going to die, and finally. Ishbosheth, his youngest son, is going to pass from the scene. And at that point, it's over. <laughs> There's really nothing left. The, all, the, all the knights and the queens and the knights and the bishops, they're all dead. And now it's, there's nothing left but for David to take the kingdom. And I love the fact that in all of this, David never once took his hand personally and went after any of Saul's men. David had such an integrity of heart. And you know what I find so interesting about him is, is he was a great warrior. He was a great warrior. I mean, when he worked for Saul, when he was in his uh, ministry, if you will, he was the commander going out. And David fought battle. He was a warrior, but he knew the difference between murder and war. Because there is a difference. When you're, when you're being attacked by people or you have to go out to war and things happen, casualties, that's just the nature of war. But when he got off the battlefield, David took and turned his hat around and became a different man. He wasn't a bloodthirsty man. He was a very gracious and merciful man. And that's what was so unique about him, so different from everybody around him. And what further made him unique is that he was also a musician, which is even more interesting. 
He was a guitar player. <laughs> and so he had this really interesting kind of personality. And God could use him. Let's go back to verse 1. It says, There was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But notice, David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And see, this is always the case of a man of faith, which David was, versus the man who was the man of the flesh, working against God, which we know is Saul. When God has a, a, a work in a man's life, God is going to sustain that man, and everybody who's working against him is going to find themselves at cahoots with God. You know, do you really want to be in opposition against God's will? And really, that's what was happening. Abner and Saul and his men, they were all working against God. And now look at them. They're all in the grave and will be in the grave. And David is remain, remaining to stand. And such is the case for the man and the woman or the woman of faith who's walking in faith and walking in the promises of God, walking in the promises that God has said to them, not going to the left hand or to the right, not vacillating, not compromising, but just staying true to Jesus Christ. Are you staying true to Jesus Christ tonight? Is your heart completely bent toward him? I would encourage you, if it's not there, it's never too late. You can start tonight. Don't get into that fatalistic kind of mindset where you get stuck in a, maybe a sin in your life or maybe it's a habitual sin. Maybe it's something that you're struggling with that nobody knows about and you find yourself stuck and then you say, oh, what's the matter? I might as well just give in to it. Have you had those moments? As humans, if you haven't, you will. Because such is common to all men. All these things happen to all of us. And due time, just give it time, and you'll find yourself in that place. Hopefully not for long. But such is the man of God, like David was. He was a man of faith. And Saul was a man of the flesh. And God will preserve the man who puts his trust in him. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 13 in the last part of that verse, it says this, But he who puts his trust in me, God says, shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Think about that. But he who trusts in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Didn't David put his trust in the Lord, even though he went through his hills and valleys? I love that. He was never like always on the mountaintop. You know, nobody can relate to somebody who's always on the mountaintop. We're, they're untouchable, you know, nothing happens to them, they're always having a bright day, you know, the birds never mess on their car, I mean, it's, everything is just always perfect all the time, and they're smiling, and everything is just good, but not so with normal people, with most of us, we have these hills and valleys, and David had his valleys, boy did he have his valleys, and when he had his heights, oh my goodness, he soared like the eagle, he was up there with the sun practically kissing it. And then there were times where he was just underneath the rock, kissing the dust. And I think you can relate to that. I know I can. But God, but David put his trust in the Lord. And we're going to see, as we go through David's life, we're going to see him, that God is going to give him, just as that verse that we just read, he who trusts in the Lord shall possess the land, speaking of Israel, and shall inherit my holy mountain. David put his trust in the Lord, and the Lord saw fit to give him the entire land, not just Judah, 
the whole entire land. And he did inherit God's holy mountain, Zion in Jerusalem. He inherited that. God gave it to him. And guess what, saint? That after the rapture of the church and after the seven-year tribulation period and when we have the millennial reign of Christ, guess what? David is going to be resurrected in the new, in the millennial reign. He's going to be resurrected. I love that. God is faithful to his promise. As we look at verses 2 through 5, we're going to see a list of David's sons that were born to him in Hebron. And again, why is it here? It's here to show us, again, the theme of tonight. And that is the, the decline of Saul's dynasty. In order for there to be a decline, there has to be a building up of something else. I love what the Bible says. It says God raises up kings and he sets down kings. Promotion doesn't come from man. It comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from the north, the south, the east, the west. It comes from God. He sets down one and he raises up another. And now that we see this, what we're going to read now, we're going to see David's sons coming. And this is a rising of David and a diminishing of Saul's dynasty. Notice verse 2. It says, Sons were born to David in Hebron. His first was Amnon by Ahinoam the Jezreelitess. Amnon, his name is interesting because when, you, when we look at his character later on, we're going to see that he was anything but what his name signified. His name signifies trustworthy or faithful. And we know that he wasn't faithful. He was the one who um, raped his half-sister, Absalom's sister. Because David had many wives. He had at least seven wives that we know of. And he had children by each of these wives. Amnon was his firstborn. He wasn't a faithful man, neither was he trustworthy. And his second son, Chiliab, or Daniel, you might want to put in parentheses. And by Abigail, the widow uh, uh, by Abigail, the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. The third is Absalom. We know who he is. He's the son of Maacah, the daughter of Telmei, the king of Jeshur, which is in the northern part of Israel to the east of the uh, sea of Galilee in what you and I would call Syria today. And we'll see later on in 2 Samuel chapter 13 that Absalom not only murders David's firstborn son, Amnon, for raping his sister, but he also tries to take over his father David's throne. And we'll look at him as we go further. But in verse 4 it says, The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Hagith, Adonijah would become a rival to Solomon's throne. And Solomon would ultimately have him put to death. Boy, doesn't it sound like a, doesn't it sound like a soap opera? You know, the young and the restless, or the young and the brainless, or as the stomach churns instead of as the world turns. The blinding light. Remember those old, I don't even know if they're on anymore, but I remember, you know, the, the guiding light, you know, the blinding light. So you guys need to wake up because this stuff is really, really hilarious. Um, but notice verse 5. And the sixth, Ithrium, by David's wife Eglah, these were born to David in Hebron. Notice, six sons, six wives. Do you see a problem with that? <laughs> Does it sound like a potential problem? It is. It is. We'll get to that. Eglah, her name means a heifer. How would you like that, ladies? What does your name mean? A cow. <laughs> Hopefully she was like a really thin woman and, and her name would betray her. 
you know, but her name, it means a heifer. And, of course, in that culture, it was different. I'm having a little fun with these names, so forgive me. But according to Jewish tradition, um, some believe that this was Michal, um, Saul's daughter, whom David had married uh, before he went into exile. But I, I believe that if it was her, the Bible would just say so. But there's tradition saying that this name is, is really Michal. Um, we don't really know, and it really doesn't matter. But if this, um, and so if we look at First Chronicles, and as we go through Second Samuel, you'll notice that in First Chronicles it really talks about David's, especially uh, chapter eleven onward. You really get into more of the intimate details of David's life in 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 in, in what we're reading now. So as we read Second Samuel. Um, start cross-referencing that with 1 Samuel, beginning in verse 11, and it'll, it'll really open your eyes to some things. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, it does give us a complete list. I mean, we have a partial list here of the sons that were born to David, each by a different mother. But in 1 Chronicles 3, verse 1 through 9, it gives us a complete list of sons that were born not only to David in Hebron, which we just read, but also in Jerusalem, a total of 19 sons by at least seven wives, including, of course, Bathsheba. Now, I said before, doesn't this sound like a problem, you know, to have all of these wives? You know, except for in Utah, most of us only have one wife. If we're married at all, we have one wife or one spouse, right, unless you live... In, uh, in Utah, where the Mormon church, they, uh, I don't know if they still do it, but polygamy is uh, uh, something they continue to do, I believe. But is it really God's way? As we look at David's life, his life, and his son Solomon's life would have been so much different had they listened to what God had spoken originally and followed that. And what do I mean by that? In Genesis 1, verse 27, what it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And notice, male and female, he created them. He created a male and a female. And much to our culture's chagrin, marriage is between a man and a woman, period. That's what marriage is. No one has the right to define marriage. God has the right. He said it. We must adhere to it. And if we go against it, we do it to our own peril. Right? One woman, one man. And in Genesis chapter 2, 24, what does it say? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. Notice, they too shall become one flesh. I wonder if David and, and Solomon, if they would have read these verses, and certainly they had. They knew Genesis. They read it. They had the scrolls. They could read them. Why didn't they listen? David and Solomon both would have spared themselves so much pain and heartache had they listened to God. One man, one woman, they too shall become one flesh. What does it tell us in Matthew 19? The Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, and they said, To him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read what they, that that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave, and here Jesus is quoting Genesis, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so then they are no longer two but one. Now can you have three or four wives and be one? 
I really don't think it, it's not it's not written here. It says the man and the woman. They too shall become one. Not the these three, these four, this community of people, this population of LA can, you know, be one. You know, I mean, let's be real. It doesn't even make sense. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15, it says, Do you not know, Paul says to the Corinthians, who are by a way a very uh, loose uh, group of people, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who was joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. It's just so over and over again we see this idea of two becoming one. And that's God's design for a man to be with a woman until death they do part. Until death, they do part. In Romans 7, 2, the woman has, who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law to marry three other guys. No, it says one, <laughs> she's released from the law to be married again. It's pretty clear, I think. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 17. This is a little bit longer of a passage. And I bring this up because we're going to see that David, as a result of these many wives, it's really going to create a problem for him. And we're going to see later on that his own family is going to be in such, there's going to be so many problems. It's going to be the biggest dysfunctional family on the planet. And such is true today. So many dysfunctional families today. And wait till we get to Solomon. That's going to be even more strange. Deuteronomy chapter 17. Let's look at verse 14. God here is speaking through Moses concerning the prohibition of Israel's kings. Things that they need to stay away from. And he tells them in advance. Before they even get into the promised land, what does God say through Moses? He says, when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. From one among your brethren, you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you he is, who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply. Notice, here it is, verse 16. But he shall not multiply horses for himself. Did Solomon do that? Yes, he did. Nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Did he do that? Yes, he did. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Notice verse 17. Neither shall you, he, multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Did David do that? Yes, he did. Did Solomon do that? Oh, yes, he did. And here's God's warning. Very clear in Scripture. We, we, we see it all the way back in Genesis. We see it throughout the New Testament. Two becoming one. God warns the kings to have one wife, not to multiply wives. And why is that? Because God knows best. And as we get into David's life, you're going to see one of the great problems that arises from David's life is because he missed this. One of the things is he, he wasn't listening in this area. Did God come out and flat out say, you can't have more than one wife? No, he really didn't. I mean, he did say one wife, you know, and, and two become one, but he seems to have allowed this idea of polygamy. It's not a good idea, because we read of it right now. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. So why would I want to do it if it's not a good idea? If there's no precedent for it in the Scripture, why do I want to flirt with it? 
nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of the law. And so it goes. But see, not only David did this, he multiplied wise, but also his son Solomon. Lotus in 1 Kings. Let me just read this to you for the sake of time. But you might want to write it in the margin of your Bible. 1 Kings chapter 11, what does it say? Verse 1. Notice what I just read to you in Deuteronomy. But Solomon, King Solomon, loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, these are all the pagan nations surrounding. So not only is he getting involved in these nations that he really shouldn't be, he's taking multiple wives from each of these things. And from the natural, it seems good, because whenever you want to make a peace treaty with your enemies or your neighbors, the best thing to do is marry the daughter from each of these guys. And when she comes into your house and starts to have children... There's, a, there's a, a trust relationship. Oh, I don't want to go against them. I'm going to hurt my kids and my daughter. And there's this kind of fuzzy feeling that everybody feels. you know. And, and uh, it sounds all good and natural, but it's not good. So, um, so he takes a wife from the women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor shall they, uh, nor they with you. Now, was God just being racist? No, he wasn't being racist. Was he a bigot? No, he wasn't a bigot. What was God concerned about, honestly? Was God, you know, was it, was it, was it, I mean, they're people, right? They're no different. I mean, we, we have a variety of different people here in the room. Was it that? No. It was because those pagan nations worship foreign gods, and God knew that if they got involved with them, they would too would be ensnared into the idolatrous practices, and ultimately it would destroy them. That's the problem. People are people, but God saw that he had to keep his people special and separate from those things. Would to God that we all did that today, keeping our kids separate from things that we know are going to destroy them. So Solomon, notice, clung to these. Or notice what God says, You shall not intermarry with them, nor shall they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after, God, after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives. 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And notice, his wife turned away, his wives turned away his heart. Didn't, isn't that what God said would happen? And lo and behold, it did. He wasn't listening. He wasn't obedient to the what we read in Genesis. Had David done that, had Solomon done that, think of all the hurt they could have avoided. The history of Israel would have been completely different if they would have done that. And see, that to me is is good reason why we should listen to the Word of God and not make up our own rules and, and, and think that we can somehow do whatever we want and not expect consequences. There are consequences for everything we do. And if we are not walking with the Lord and listening to Him and obeying Him, we can expect trouble. We can expect destruction. It's just going to happen, and it may just take some time, but it's coming to a theater near you in Dolby Surround Sound. Trouble is coming to you if you disobey God, right? They turned away his heart. Solomon went after Asterisk, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did, he, as did David his father. I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.